Hi, George. You're freaking out there right before, weren't you? <laughs> I actually was just about to publish um, just a short little piece about the book club with meeting times, and I 100% consider that a piece of content. <laughs> you were panicking there. I could tell, like, I could because. I wrote something and gave myself ample time to finish because I'm I'm not an amateur. And <laughs> ample time to uh, finish, as in, sent it over one hour before recording. Thank you. So not, not an amateur. And uh, I sent it over. It, at first, Carly was like, "Oh, well, just you know, you have to post it to Medium." I was like, "I don't know what any of that means." And then, like, I could see her like the. I was like, already. No, I was already doing the the um, book club thing because I didn't want to have to pay you guys money today. <laughs> yeah, but like then you, you were just like, I don't know, George, just figure it out yourself. <laughs> yeah, I thought I lost interest pretty quick. <laughs> guys, you went from being helpful, eat, like, stuff, right? no, let me let me send you let me send you the instructions. Like, I, I I don't know, I'm in the middle of something. You figure it out yourself, <laughs> infant. <laughs> Yeah, George, the tech consultant that can't post to Medium. Uh -uh. <laughs> I probably can. I just don't know what blogging. Yeah, you literally just go through your your it Twitter. You, it would take you five minutes. Would... Fine. Not, but not then even. Carly said. Then Carly said, "There's all these rules. Where first we have to post on this. Do you remember, George? Do you remember all the rules? Like I remember no rules." At this point, I was going to say, like, just get something out there. Just, <laughs> like, George, literally anything. Rules be you have damn. no idea how close it was to a haiku. I mean, I actually wrote some haikus. What was Recently? The other night. When I was trying to, when I was, because remember, I was like, you were, you were trying to ban me from my output being a haiku. And I was mm -hmm. like, fuck it. I mean, I have the beginnings of some. Read them. But I just, yeah. yeah. Do you like to share with the class? Yeah. Not good. <laughs> not finished. All I have so far. <laughs> this is gonna be good. <laughs> A total addressable market. And within every single one. Passionate percentiles. <laughs> oh my god. Not a haiku. <laughs> They're tricky though, because it's like five seven, it's five seven five, you know. But uh, I can't, or maybe it, I don't know. I'm bad with syllables, syllables. I never know if something has one or two syllables. Like it depends on how you say it, and like, and also, what depends on the emphasis. Yeah, right. The emphasis on the syllable. <laughs> um, but also in in Japanese, in which the haikus were written, they got a whole different notion of syllables. <laughs> doesn't translate like Basho shit that ain't any 575 Basho shit Basho the great zen poet Basho Basho shit oh, that's confusing no me. no his name's not Basho shit <laughs> that's his name I... <laughs> his name's Basho his his output it's not shit or it is shit no no it's amazing but it's not five seven five syllables. Well, was it originally written in English or a different? No. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Question. Poems Nor was really haiku originally well. in, in, in American or English or whatever construct. So it's like, and again, the Japanese language, which I'm proficient in. <laughs> uh, 
would be cool if you were. And we just found out. Like, <laughs> so I just started a rock in the Domo Arigato. <laughs> it's like listening to songs that have been translated and they no longer rhyme and the melody is all off because you have to either pack more syllables or remove some. Yeah, or if you read a book in its original language, it can be totally different. It's hard to convey certain things just with a pure translation, I think. You know what does translate well, though? What? Food. George's keynotes to Spanish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> almost everything, almost all of my output translates well to Spanish. <laughs> Joseph, what's your output? Well, we have a guest. Should we yeah. introduce our guest? Or do you want to introduce yourself, actually, Joseph? Sure. Um, I'm Joseph. I'm former student of George's, and I'm interning at ENA now. Yahoo! Yahoo! And a big part of, of, of Radar. Yes, I'm also working on Radar with George. That's true. With what George. has been your role with Radar? Uh, well, in the Fucking beginning, things up. <laughs> always. Wow. Um, <laughs> in the beginning, since it was pretty much a team of three or four people, we all did a little bit of everything. But now that team has grown, I've kind of taken the role of um, business development. So we're preparing sort of a template to reach out to different schools around the country to get them on board for radar and we finished that email yesterday so start awesome. to head, heading up the the bd department the bd <laughs> biz dev right yeah yeah it's fun you are you're rocking how many people are on this radar thing now a lot right 400 five six hundo probably more that is a lot. Five, oh, yeah. six, seven hundo. Seven hundo. And there's also a lot of new people joining the, the student team. I think there were like four or five new people on the call on Friday, and there's more joining next week. So it's it's good. Awesome. How did that call go without me? I was not able to be on that call. Not well, really? right? Horrible. Just like, Horrible. A, like a rudderless ship? Yeah, we actually <laughs> finished something. Like a... Ooh. Whoa. Oh. Oh, oh, oh! No, just like a since you were there punch. to speak, Annie was was taking just over. Just a punch right in the in the chest. <laughs> With love, can alumni okay. submit music? Yes. And Dan, what are you waiting for? Yeah, so I can do all my bad Bruce Springsteen ripoffs. Throw no, I can't do ripoffs. Can't no, do soundalikes. No, I'd prefer not, not to be sued. It's not soundalikes if I'm just inspired and am a poor musician. So depends on who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> depends on which jury is giving a lecture, a copyright law lecture the other day, and you know the the, the students all want like a dispositive answer under what what is and what is an infringement. And I was like, here's the problem: your aunt Tanya decides. You know what I mean? It's like it, you get some, you know, if you pass the, the kind of summary judgment stage, you get in front of a jury. It's not like it's the battle of the experts. You've got musicologists on both sides, plaintiff and defendant side. And then they, they just sort of battle it out. And then and then Aunt Tanya, the, the, the 62-year-old lesbian, you know, uh, she decides whether or not it's infringement or not. And she's she's like an accountant. <laughs> you know? She's like, I don't know. Sounds like it to me. Sounds that 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 blurred line sounds a lot like Marvin Gaye to me. 
Now I'm going to go back to my accounting job and my Subaru. Do you think at some point there has to be clear guidelines on what is and is not? Because you can't scale this. Can't, you can't scale can't. decided by jury, right? Sure. That's a, but that's one of the beautiful things about our, our, our – it's a question of law, a question of fact. I, I, there, are, there are initiatives afoot to try to use technology to better analyze prima facie infringement. And obviously it exists, right? I mean, like YouTube has its content ID, um, and, but – do we want it to be done by a machine? Like, don't we want it to be, don't we want our, I don't know. I mean, I, it, it's, a, it's the right question. I have mixed feelings. I, I think there's nuance. I think it's a, it's very, it's a very subjective thing. Um, and it's, it needs to evolve, but uh, yeah, you're right. It doesn't scale. Jury of experts, maybe. Ah, is that a thing? Is that but no, you're not allowed to have jury of experts. <laughs> I mean, you can, you, you can have, Qualified you can jury. have, well, it's supposed to be peers, right? I mean, and, and that's where it gets interesting in, in music, where it's like we all consider ourselves music experts. And, um, you know, but so it, 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 the, the, law, the law states that it, it has to uh, infringement, the prime facie element is substantial similarity, right? Well, what's substantial? Like that's, that's a completely subjective term. And so if you listen to My Sweet Lord back to back with He's So Fine, it's it's very substantially similar to my ears. If you listen to "Gotta Give It Up" backed up against um, um, "Blurred Lines," not so much. But Judith Fresnel, the, the expert on the case, she's very good, and she brought charts and everything else in and baselines, and the jury said, and it stood up. It's held up to two uh, two appeals. Um, there is the Katy Perry case got overturned. So, I mean, there's this tension, this balance. And I think, oh gosh, I can't, it breaks my heart. I was so excited to have, I think the Zeppelin case is, was going to be heard by the Supreme Court and the Stairway to Heaven case. Um, and now, obviously, the Supreme Court has, <laughs> where to start with RPG? I would have loved to have read her opinion. Bummer. But, um. It's like this 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 ferociously powerful woman was the was the glue for this whole country. Like it, that's the thing that just kept me awake all night last night. It was like she literally was holding this whole thing together. And and, and in true Bodhisattva form, right? She she apparently Bodhisattva only leaves once they realize they can leave the place that in good hands, so I guess she assumes it's in good hands, but man. And I don't know why people aren't talking about, you know, if they don't ram someone down their throat, we have a split court. we got 4-4 court, right? And so if we have a contested election and then the court falls at 4-4, then what? Like, well, I mean, what and, and book, Is there, do you have I don't think idea? there's a constitutional remedy for it. Maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe the, I'm sure there is. I should, I should know, but, um, there's probably a constitutional remedy, but I, I don't know. I mean, in Bush v. Gore, it was a 5-4 court. And I forget the decision. I think it might have been 6-3. But, but, um, but it was, you know, there were nine, nine justices. I don't know. What a time to be alive. <sighs> Joseph, so you were always like you are now. You're like so quiet. Like I remember in the classes, like how many classes did you have with me? Two or three. 
18? More than two. No. Felt like you were in every class. Six in the blockchain class. That was it? Yeah. And then radar. (laughs) Yeah, I thought there was another. But but I just always remember you being like really, really smart. But man, you just didn't say boo. And then I tried to (laughs) coax it out of you. And then other people who are less smart, like, da, 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 and try to get them to show. Well, that's always the way it goes. What? Don't you think? What? Well, I feel like most of the time, the people who say the most aren't always the ones who should be talking. Present company excluded, of course. I am not saying that that was not a backhanded comment. But, I mean, like, that's just, that's a total personality trait thing. Has that not been your experience dis- just as a as an educator? Often? Un- uncorrected personality traits? Uncorrected. Uncorrected personality, personality there's that disorders. I think that there's always an 80-20 rule in every class that where in any class there will be 20% of people who speak 80% of the time. And and that's why I like big classes, because if I'm teaching a class with like four people, that means one person will talk most of the time. If I've got a hundred people, that means twenty people will. So you get a plurality of opinion. I don't know. Yeah. And it's it's all out of whack now with Zoom, Zumba, Zumba. <laughs> um but why were you so quiet, Joseph? Um, I don't know. I guess I tend to prefer to listen rather than talk out of my ass if I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, now you're just bragging. <laughs> no. <laughs> now you're just like, I'm awesome. It's just especially in your classes, it's like you can't pretend to know the stuff if you don't. Why not? Why would you? I don't know. You know Why do the people? The point isn't to show off, it's to learn. <laughs> so. Do you feel that you learned? A lot. Yeah. What did you learn? Purpose not to <laughs> Just a That's it. Impromptu pop quiz. Yeah. yeah. Like what did you have? You, what did you have? Ethics in the blockchain class? Yeah. Explain to me explain to me how mining works on the blockchain. <laughs> sure. Uh-huh. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> and you had ethics? Okay, explain to me the Kantian ethic. Do not use people as a means to an end. Look at you. You learned something and retained it. Truly. It's a good one. That's a good ethic to know. If, if, if there was only one ethic that I would want people to leave, that would be the one. Do not use people as a means to an end. Instead, yeah. view them as an end in and of themselves. Yeah, I don't know. A lot came out of that class. Like, good to great. I reread Lexus and the Olive Tree this summer. Did you really? It's really prescient, isn't it? Yeah, like, it's I mean, really it's good, like but also kind of same as with mindsets. At one point, you're like, okay, this is the same story. Well, you know, all business books, but except for probably Carly's Choice, which is coming up on Friday, right? <laughs> no Finally. Word on the so excited. It's coming up on Friday, but we need a we need a blog post to confirm Oh, that. we have a blog post that will go up. I wasn't sure if I should publish before or after yours, George. Let's not play that game. Let's just get some. <laughs> uh, I should have won then. It's it's already on the site. It was literally about to hit publish, and then it was <laughs> eleven o'clock <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I abandoned it to actually join the call. What did you I'm write? Damn, you're Mr. Judgment over there. What was your output? 
Was I judgmental? You didn't was I see? Being judgmental? I, did, I mean, I did the thread, but I feel like that, that I can't just do that. Last week. week. Did you do another one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You liked it. You retweeted <laughs> you just You just see my name on a tweet, and you're like, I'll, I'll, give, the, I'll give the kid a heart. You know? <laughs> That's not like. true at all. When did you do this? Friday. Friday. It's a new Friday thing. Justin but Dan, you also, I noticed on the site, but now it's the most recent podcast, but you, on, the latest episode was um, Artists as Media Companies. Oh, yeah, yeah. You I, did I, an I, audio. I published that because I needed the um, the web player for oh, okay. to put it in the article. So yeah, technically I put something out, but that's also been sitting on my hard drive for like a month. Um, but I guess if we're measuring this based on publishing something, then yeah, guys, yeah. I, 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 I did a little mini episode of the podcast. I did a Twitter thread and You're all of over. that during the week. You're all Not over. on Sunday morning? <laughs> Not on Sunday. Minutes Not right before over. the call? Um, you are the true professional. I am an amateur. Welcome to the content factory. Um, the content factory. The content farm. Content farm. Yeah. Should I say content farm? That's right. It's so much better. Um, but <laughs> Joseph is our new farmer in residence. The yes, content the farm. content farmer. Oh, or, or look at it pessimistically. You could be the new cows. Um, but cows, <laughs> cows, hunting yeah. cows. Gotta give them milk. <laughs> Delicious so we're milking Joseph. Milk. We're gonna milk Joseph. <laughs> I have okay. nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? <laughs> Name that movie. <laughs> I have um, no idea, George. I, um, I have nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? Meet the fuckers. Meet the fuckers. Look at you. Meet the parents, yeah. <laughs> I got I panicked. I wanted to win. <laughs> oh, the little cat teat. Yeah. It's... <laughs> <laughs> well, Joseph is about to be the most productive out of all of us. Uh, Joseph, you want to talk about the, the project that we got started this past week? Yeah. Um... The stages. So it started with a competitive analysis of a few different podcasts similar to ENA and looking through what they're doing on social media and different platforms, then writing down all the types of content that they had, looking at which ones got the most engagement, and then out of that list, picking out the ones that could be the best for ENA. And what I'm doing right now is matching the different types of content with specific DNA content. Well, so, so let's go back to that, right? So we, we started with a list of these are the podcasts that have similar, like they're conversations and they're about similar topics. What did you learn when you were going through the Instagram feeds, Twitter feeds of these other podcasts and the engagement rates they were getting, the type of content they were using? I think the bigger the podcast, the worse the engagement rating was. Yeah, like significantly significantly right. worse i don't want to say any no names say names because this is all publicly available information we're just that putting it true. together yeah. we're in- so tim ferris show mm-hmm. horrible engagement has Give like millions of followers but less than half a percent of their followers actually engage with the posts um that was pretty surprising but i guess if you have that amount of followers you can get away with sloppy social media in a way um not forever kind of. it just means yeah. he's kind underutilizing of. it right it, it it seems to me like he's uh not putting a ton of effort into the community 
and it's, yeah. his moment may have come and gone too. I his mean, like, how long can huge, you milk? Is it well? It's because of the guests, right? Like people, it's yeah, not sure. The, well, but how does he get those big guests? No, he got it because he wrote. He had a really good idea with the four-hour work week. Like that was. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not. I don't think it's a. It's a great business model, but it's a nice idea. It's a nice kind of heuristic, and it it, it captured a moment. And you know, he built off it, and God bless him. But you know, it's just it's it's hard to kind of keep recycling that idea. Um, but you know, I don't know. It, it it feels to me like there's a little bit. He he falls into me, and I shouldn't I shouldn't shit on people, but like in that same kind of Gary V vein where. I just don't I, like that bro hustle thing. Like I, I, it's like okay, so now we're all bro hustling all the time. We're all now <laughs> gig economy. You know, it's like is that what you want? And and I, I think the four hour work week was supposed to be kind of the opposite of that. Which initially it was like, yeah, you you should be able to find a scalable scalable business model that that you can do in only four hours a week and that now it's just become no you must just be you measure your worth by how busy you are or something yeah it's very so, it's very actually thinking about i'm oh, sorry go ahead no you're good no i know but you continue <laughs> all right so yeah the tim Ferriss show was surprised by how low the engagement was and i was pleasantly surprised with a couple others um morning brews business casual podcast has some very good um twitter and instagram content they really cracked the nut the, the, yeah. I, I sort of ran out of steam with them but man did they 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 developed there's some some article somewhere out there about how they how they got product market fit so fast but morning Brew really did a great job both with targeting a niche and then creating that architecture participation you know by encouraging people to to share it Mm-hmm. Well, and focusing solely on that one product and getting it. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, really, really found a niche. Yeah. But do you think they took that too far? Because you said you stopped. Um, I stopped. And because I, of that, I, right? I did. And I don't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, this is, the, it's a, this is really all, and I'm not trying to lead the subject matter my way, <laughs> but this is all really, really what I wrote about for the, the piece that I posted, like, um, in ample time, like five or six days ago, um, about about the, the 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 matrix right the low touch high margin and and um and where if you find something that's relatively low touch high margin or low touch low margin which is is what the, that that model is churn sets in where where you get customer fatigue they shift they jump from one to the other like how do you how do you keep that core business going because the moment you find one that works people replicate it and and there're just so many alternatives and then we're all faced with so much just kind of subscription fatigue where it's like it better be really really good like i, I just i find myself i've got about a 3 month like honeymoon period with these new services like i don't i don't re- i used to mm-hmm. love the the punch newsletter and and some of the other food ones and now i just i don't and so i don't, I don't understand because it seems like it shouldn't go that way it seems like you should get more engrossed in them but i think the job to be done thing just isn't there they're kind of novel and then it's like i'm gonna find something new but it's true of all businesses yeah um another podcast that i thought was very interesting was uh water and music oh yeah in that case the author has a much bigger following than the actual podcast 
Right. So she Who? kind of funnels the podcast content through her account. Is that what that's Sherry, right? Yep. Sherry. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's another one. Like, and I say this like she reached. It's just I say this only to congratulate her on her success. But four or five years ago, she emailed me and she's like, "How do I get a Forbes column?" And I was like, "I don't know," you know. And I, I showed and like she's so far eclipsed me in terms of followers and all of that. Like she's really doing an amazing job. Um, and I think it's really talk about like net promoter score more and more she's become the de facto okay if you want good insights on the music business read read her stuff i don't you know it's great it's like heavily but what was your observation that, that that it's 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 what there's more people following her than reading the thing yeah, yeah. well not reading the thing but just her her like, presence water music account the, yeah is yeah It's true, though. It's very hard to find those kind of kind of authoritative voices on on the music business. I mean, it's musically, I guess. Who do you use, Joseph? Like, who, like when you're trying to, you're very proactive on this. Like, where do you find your information? I mean, a lot of it comes from Twitter, from various yeah. sources. Yeah, just curate um, your tweet. All Twitter the podcasts feed. that um, I looked up for the competitive analysis, except the Tim Ferriss show. <laughs> And listen to um yeah i don't know i found an article about two lawyers that pretty much analyze canyon's contracts because sarah yeah was very interested in that yeah yeah that was amazing that whole when was that the other night where he just started tweeting out pages of his contract interspersed with him peeing on his grammy <laughs> i mean that's a cry for help right both of those things are cries for help and then he posted Forbes's editor phone number. Yeah, he doxed Zach, someone. Zach, or which editor? It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We don't. We don't need to perpetuate that. That's terrible. Yeah. Um, 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 I, I I screen grabbed all of the the contracts as well, Same. and so so someone actually went through and and wrote about it. Yeah. I haven't had time to look at it. It's a profit sharing deal, though. It's not like, I mean, just my cursory glance, it's not like a standard. I mean, I'm not saying it's a good or a bad contract, but it's certainly the type of contract that, that a Kanye West and a handful of others can get, and most artists can't. Right? It, was, it was not, I mean, most, most major label contracts are really, really, really onerous contracts. Yeah. And again, I, I didn't read through his, but just the title of it itself, it wasn't a record contract. It was a profit participation, I think. Yeah, I think his whole thing was, or the main issue was that... The masters. Exactly, the masters. And the fact that they don't even want to sell them back to him. Well, no, and, and you have to understand... Sure, he could afford them. And the, but, the, I mean, this was the Taylor Swift thing, too, you know. Um, but, but you're again, you're asking... The reason the labels are so fat and happy right now is because of those contracts that granted them the right of masters and life of copyright going back to you know the dawn of time and now with i mean this is one of those examples where the long tail has actually worked in their favor where i mean you're streaming fucking super tramp the the labels thought that that those those songs were no longer going to generate money and and the scary thing is it's a lot of those old songs it's like I, there was something out there 
a couple weeks ago where it's like a thousand songs or something make up 99% of all of the listening on Spotify. It's just some crazy thing. And if you're the major label, you just spew that everywhere. You're never Mm going to give those contracts up. And the bigger one, the issue is there is the 35-year Contract Reversion Act. And and where where the, the the courts came down, they said, look, we should give copyright holders who have or um, authors rather who have granted their copyrights a way to reclaim them after thirty five years, and then the labels just created so many loopholes and do shit like remastering the albums to extend the copyright. And but it's it's it, again, I was talking to somebody about this this week who's just super passionate about. It. I was like, it's going to take a plaintiff. It's going to take some some artist to go. Fuck it, you! I'm gonna sue you, labels, to get my contract back in and and, the, and uh, adhere to the to the contours of this of this act, the 35 year copyright reversion act. Because right now they're just like no, you know, and nobody's doing anything. And then the artists don't sue because they're so afraid. If they sue, well, not afraid. They know that if they sue, the labels will immediately stop all royalties coming in until the until the settlement or the suit's over. And that can be years and years and years. So you've got some money coming in. It's it's a fraction of what you should be getting paid and or you should be getting your, your master's back so you could do a direct deal with Spotify, but you're too afraid to sue them because you know that once you do, when you do, they will stop all royalty payments. And you can't live. So it's going to take some really, really rich plaintiff. And that's the problem. It's like the people who could, the plaintiffs that could do it are so rich now. Like, what do they care? If I'm if I'm Paul Simon, like it would have to be a, a a virtue thing. It'd have to be like I'm I'm going to I'm gonna RBG this motherfucker. I'm going to fall on the sword here for other artists. And but you know, no, no, you know, Paul Simon do whatever he wants. But like it's gonna take somebody like him or some artist that has a lot of money to say, yeah, I'm willing to forego this the you know fire hose of royalties. So that I can sue my labels to get my copyrights back. That's a tough one. That's a you know. I mean, at this point, if anyone could do that, it would be him, though. Kanye, Kanye? because he makes most of his money from the clothing brand. Either way, you're right. That's a great point. Yeezy is a billion dollar company, you know, so he's not living off of his royalty checks. That's a really good point. You just never know people at that level it seems like they have all the money in the world and and maybe they do but they also tend to have massively huge nuts that they have to make every month and it's just like you'd be surprised at how illiquid some of these people are yeah but also that but you're right that contract that he tweeted out that's not like an old contract that he signed when he was just starting that was relatively recent that's what i was saying it's that's exactly right it's it's a thing and i don't want to keep restating something if it's wrong information but i think it was like a profit share contract not here's a typical exclusive recording artist contract which is a hundred times worse you know for most artists yeah but that makes me feel like a a little less empathetic for him because if he I mean especially 10 years ago he's kind of at the top of his game mm-hmm. compared yep. to now I would yep. say with great yep. lawyers and if he signs something away that was his decision well that's yeah. yeah and I tell that to, to young artists all the time it's like hey look you want to make a deal with the devil go ahead but no you're making a deal with it like there, there, sh- there can be no excuse right now for young artists or any artist to, to just feel like, okay, yeah, I'm going to get a fair contract. You can make a business decision. You can say, okay, I'm going to make this deal knowing that it's not a fair contract, but I value the whatever, the being being anointed or the, the promotion or whatever more than I want a fair contract. That's, that's 
a business decision. But to say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this label gave me a, <laughs> a lopsided contract. Come on. You've got the most expensive lawyers in the world. And, and even young artists. Like, like you can't. You can't in 2020 sign a contract with a major label and then go, oh, I can't believe that you screwed me. Like, yeah, it's weird because labels are historically known for being such decent, honorable actors. I feel like for the, let's say, like Berkeley community, that's very clear. But there are definitely some artists out there that don't have that information, I think. Oh, come on. I mean, I, I agree with you that, that, that Berkeley students have much greater um, information being just like funneled into them. And that's what they're paying a lot of money for. But I mean, can the average non-Berkeley student, whatever, just say still really actually think that the label contracts are going to be a, a fair deal? If you're not educated. But the information's out there, right? I mean, it's it's not like... I don't think it's thrown in front of people's faces if they're not looking for it, though. That's you know? exactly. Yeah. If you don't know you have to look for it, then... I think we're, we're very much in a kind of our own knowledge bubble of seeing this stuff constantly. If you're you know, if you're but it's your industry, right? Or as Trump would say, industry. Um, <laughs> but it's not for the people that are just trying to make a go of it and aren't, you know, in any form insiders. If they're just yeah. making, I guess where I'm going is like, at what point is the responsibility? How it's like smoking or something, right? There's a, a, a awesome article about like the the bad comparisons between social media and smoking right which i'm guilty of making too and this this it's a book um but i read the read the the book review and the general thesis is like if you choose to smoke today like you know what you're getting into like like that's a choice and that you can have that choice if you want it but no one can start smoking today and be like i didn't know this would be bad for me you know (laughs) and whereas with social media you know people in the know kind of know how how horrifying it is but if you're a kid it still has that that allure that like smoking maybe in the 50s did where it's like no this is actually doctors say this is good for you like the record industry like can you really say yeah i think i've heard that universal makes fair deal but maybe that's not what they're concerned about if you're a young aspirational musician you just want the deal it's like you're not totally agree no that's what i'm saying like if it if if it's a business decision yeah, what are the bad things that can happen? They want what they see is just. But that's, I do it every semester in my, my intro class. I, I say to the students, I say, okay, so how many of you all think that you must have a major label deal to become successful in the industry? And, and no hands go up. And then I, I think say, that's the... well, I'm not done. And then I say, how, how, how many of you all think that, that if you did get a contract, it would be a fair deal? And none of the hands go up. And I say, but if a, if a A&R person from a major label walked in this room and signed you, be honest, how many of you all would sign the contract? And most of the hands go up. And it's to your point exactly, man. Carly. Yeah. They, they want that, that affirmation more than – and so, yeah, I get it. But that's the labels playing on it, and that's why the, the contracts will never change. They don't need to. The only thing I was going to add is I think that to Dan and Joseph's point, there's obviously and what you were talking about earlier, like this niche market. Students that are going to Berkeley are looking for a more rounded 
source of, of information. They're not just like the purely aspirational musicians who aren't maybe going to think about like the business side of it, the ethics side of it, the technology side of it, the royalties, like they just want the, the deal. So I think and I'm for, saying to even with Berkeley, Berkeley students no, aren't representative, uh, aren't, aren't a good representation of just aspirational musicians because they have a, I think, I mean, I'm not a Berkeley student, but it's, it's a more kind of, yeah, it's a, it's a deeper approach to a, a career in music. It's not just like, I'm going to hopefully get signed via YouTube or TikTok or whatever. Like I want to learn about the industry. I want to actually approach this with a more business mindset. So I don't think that, um, I just don't think you can use them as kind of a, a, catch-all for what's it called <laughs> proxy yeah yeah i guess <laughs> representation but my point is yeah. that even even with that the berkeley students all would sign the deal that's how powerful that is and it's about validation yeah. it's not about a fair contract it's about having that one moment of grace where you go hey mom i'm a real artist now and i'm a real artist because lucian grange says i am or whatever which so they're just preying on those aspirations mm-hmm. What do you guys think of what's happening with TikTok right now? It's going to be fine. I mean, that fine actually... is a very loose word, but with Oracle and Walmart, Trump's going to let it through. It's going to, it's the product might end up getting hurt in the process a little bit. Um, but I don't think TikTok's going away. Larry Ellison is so, so gross. Yeah. I think it's just about making some people some money. I don't think TikTok is going it is. anywhere. No, because it's just you, you, a deal. Yeah. you buttress it against WeChat, which, you know, I mean, the only reason to Larry Ellison is a massive Trump donor and supporter. Right. This is a backroom yeah. deal. And, totally. and Oracle is not exactly known for their consumer facing products. Right. It's like, oh, great. Oracle. It's, or, or their prowess as a security company. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 so gross. It's so it's such the fall of 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 the American experiment. I mean, the the American liberal democracy is predicated on free press gone, rule of law gone, not meddling with business gone. Right? All, all of the all of the elements of liberal democracy are just gone. Yeah, where, right where are the Republicans that should be uh, upset about this and? Where are the Republicans generally? I mean, you know, I, I thought for a moment there where when when um, Trump was really going after McCain or whatever, and it was like, look, you can be a McCain Republican or you can be a Trump Republican, but you can't be both. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, you know, I mean, RBG was confirmed like 93 to 6 or something or whatever, 93 to 7 in, in the Senate, like in whenever it was. She was a Clinton appointee. Can you imagine literally anyone being appointed with that type of, of, of landslide? No, I mean, we've, we've become so divisive. 93 to 7 during the Clinton administration, she was appointed. Well, well I mean, come on. Like, it's going to be, it's, it's, and the, the idea that, that, that uh, Lindsey Graham and McConnell are now going to push through a, it, it, it's hypocrisy, hypocrisy at a level that, that falls into just caricature. I mean, it's it, there's yeah. there's video of Lindsey Graham saying, "I want you to play," you know, and and you know, well, this is different. 
No, it's not. In fact, you guys were leaning on the quote-unquote Biden rule to not to not give Merrick Garland a, a hearing. And now, it's, it's just, I don't know. It's, we're, we're in some sim. But going Terrible back. one. Yeah. Whose sim is this? <laughs> not mine. <laughs> what status is creating yeah, this like, sim? Like, yeah. 12-year-old. Uh, but going There's back to TikTok. room up here in Canada. Continue about you TikTok. all have you guys have the coronas coming back. Well, coming back from like zero though. It's yeah. Now that schools are open, our numbers are back to like the hundreds. But yes, I just shoot that criticism to the <laughs> karate <laughs> But Dan, you want to bring it back to TikTok? Bring it TikTok. I, I think. I mean, think about how much Facebook has suffered from poor branding and poor brand management kind of over the years. And the product itself is, I think, not as bad as the brand, right? And I, I think TikTok can suffer the same thing with Walmart and Oracle being in there and possibly changing the product is the branding. It's not going to be cool. No, no 13 year old on TikTok is like, hell yeah, Oracle and Walmart. This is where <laughs> I want to spend my time. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's a vulnerability for TikTok. Um, there were yeah. questions about um, basically like taking the algorithm out of China, which it sounds like is not possible. And I don't know how Oracle being the data processor in the US changes that because TikTok is its algorithm. You know, that's what mm -hmm. makes it addictive. That and the mm -hmm. real creation. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so I, I don't think it's going to be like TikTok is banned. Now we can't use it. And all these creators have to go somewhere else. But I was working no. yesterday with a creator trying to figure out what to do in the event that it's banned and like setting up yeah. easy ways to get fans off of TikTok and to other platforms. It's um, and even though now I think, you know, our worst fears of this creator's biggest social media channel are being shut down they're not going to happen i'm so glad we're doing it because at the end of the day you know it's you know, you every social your... media platform you know matures to a point mm -hmm. one way or the other and becomes uncool tiktoks is just happening in a spectacularly <laughs> political and disastrous Bizarre. fashion yeah. yeah it's it's not because your parents are on it it's because <laughs> trump is like funding it no it's because trump baby baby infant trump got upset when he did that rally in in Arkansas yeah. or whatever it was and all the K-pop people you know used TikTok to to I mean that's all this is baby Trump got yeah. got his his feelings hurt and and so infant Trump is now going to take it out on I mean that it's just, but um it does go back to my article like I mean it, you know the, these are these are commoditized low touch low margin services um a lot of people lost their 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 photos, their whatever, their brand equity when MySpace went down. Um, you know these things that you're saying, Dan. They do they do shift and ebb and flow. And I mean, the beneficiary of it right now, I would think, would probably be um, what's the um, Jason Ma's company? Um, uh, Ali, Alibaba. Uh, yeah, Alibaba. Tencent. No, 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 Triller? Triller. Like everyone's pushing over to there, right? Some, but Triller's got a, um, a kind of conservative issue 
where they've got a lot of um, far right creators that are putting, uh, you know, kind of posts that are promoting violence and things like that. Mm. So it's, they've, they don't get taken down. That's the issue. That's exactly the issue. And that's where, that's where when you were saying, Dan, you know, the brand equity of Facebook um, has been, been co-opted or whatever, maybe, then you have to ask whether it was a, a feature or a bug. In other words, could the grand design of this all along have been, yeah, we're going to we're going to absolutely just, you know, um, give platforms to this this voracious, you know, uh, monster of the right wing. And we're going to empower. I mean, like what evidence is there going all the way back to the. I think it didn't exist. That's that's kind of conspirational, though. I, I don't think it's. We want to empower conspiratorial. the right. Conspiratorial, conspirational. I like conspirational. Conspirational. <laughs> constipational. Like, yeah, I was going to constipational. We have a different. A little constipational. Um, <laughs> conspiratorial. God, I love. I love. Uh, <laughs> Recover from this one. Go on. Yeah. Fight through it. You can do it. I'm right. I'm on your side. I want to hear what you have to say. I don't think they set out to empower any right wing fringe groups. I think they just set out to get the most amount of clicks and thus. Yeah. Agreed. It's but once they on. saw that starting to happen, they had to make a choice, right? They had That's to make true. a choice of of should we should we try to purpose not product this thing? Should we have core values, or should we just go where the money goes? And they clearly made the choice: we're going to go where the money takes us, right? Yeah. I mean, and look, you got to you. There's got to be a, 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 someone needs to look at the influence of Peter Thiel, who I had huge huge reticence. In, in the article that I just posted, um, you know, referencing like like where the cognitive dissonance of like what an evil diabolical duty is. And yet the points he makes in From Zero to One are really worth reading. And, you know, his influence to, to Facebook generally cannot be understated. And he is an arch conservative kind of lunatic, you know. And there's a dovetailing there once he put that investment in and, and the, the way that it started to churn. Um, towards that. So I don't know if it's a feature or a bug. Or at the very least, it was a, a bug that they then said, ah, well, you will make this a feature. Mm-hmm. So they could stop it. Mm-hmm. But they don't, I, saw a funny, I saw a funny tweet. I think it was just this last week that was like, Facebook is so over-engineered for a birthday, as a birthday reminder app, which I thought <laughs> yeah. was true. Like, it's actually one of the only reasons why I'm still on it is like, yeah, yeah no, it, like literally... True. But I thought that was so funny and well put. It's like that the people that are still on Facebook, there are some very specific use cases happening. And I do think the birthday aspect of it is a huge one. I said years ago, if you're not on Facebook, do you even have birthdays? And and it's really true. Like I quit Facebook probably four or five years ago now, four years. And, and you know, my birthdays come and go exactly the way I like them with no one except for people I really care about noticing. And and when you're on Facebook, you get all this just bombardment of like, oh, it's your birthday, it's your birthday from people. HBD, HBD. Yes. And and then there's this weird cultural thing of like, well, I, I guess I need to say it too. And oh, fuck, could there be a shallower birthday wish than Facebook? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, dear friends. You have no idea what this means to me. This outpouring of emotion on my birthday because some fucking calendar thing hit you and then you felt pressured into it's It's bizarre. Like your self-worth is how many HBDs you get on your birthday. 
I do feel like a dick if I miss my close friend's birthdays, though. Same. They, but that's an over-engineered app. Like, that, that's what that's exactly totally. Carly's point. It's like they've, they've well, guilted you point. in. Yeah. Yeah, or whoever made it. Yeah. Um, I still but one thing that I... Oh, sorry. No, you go ahead. You still don't what? Know what you everybody worked on. I know what I worked on. Can I just say one thing before yeah. we, we, we move past this, though? Because it was interesting, Dan, I'm sure maybe you've seen it, but after our discussions about QAnon last week... Ah, the latest the episode reply of all. Reply All. Yeah, they cannot are, they, wait he, to he listen to it. Found the guy, and there's nothing like super explosive in it. I listened to it yesterday, but it it's really interesting. Actually, it's it's um, it's just such a. I think it's it's so bizarre to me that people believe it at all. Like it's just such a fake manufactured thing but i learned so i won't i won't say if you guys haven't listened to it i think it's worth listening to and i don't want to spoil it but it's like man it's it's a bummer (laughs) but i think people should listen to it because it's like this is just it's such a small group of people very small group of people who who have yeah manufactured all of this and it's it's led to some really serious real life things like people have Pizza gotten game. hurt yeah exactly and um but just like it's the it's just such a it, it's so wild like people think that that there's like that q is using these like codes to help relay information and there's like a whole and i didn't know some of the kind of terms used with it and like things that i wouldn't notice on but it's like this whole secret community and the whole that's what thing, i was trying to say last week well no, it's yeah, like a but, secret language and a shibboleth and all of these it's got every every element of a of a of a cult yeah totally and there was one point where it was like they come they very specifically targeted older republican people it was like share that like that's who we need that was their that was very intentional because they they do have on the internet anyways such a tighter echo chamber than say like a younger person or a more liberal person that once you get them in there then like that's all that they'll hear but it was a very intentional move to target older people specifically and that's completely what led to it blowing up is because those are the people who are still on facebook like right reading this shit. so i it's kind of full circle from everything that we're talking and about Fox i recommend News. yeah yeah info wars and all that crap but um, yeah, you guys should listen to it. It's no, uh, it's interesting, and I think because I I actually saw it first. Um, PJ like tweet tweeted about it and said, you know, after a, like really a lot of reporting, I think I'm actually I think we did find where where it was started. Um, and then I noticed it was my fee. So, um, but yeah, you guys should listen to it. It's. It was weird that we talked about it last week. And then it also has, it's everything to do with what we're saying right now with Facebook and who's using it and the the purpose of these platforms. But one kind of good news is to move away from it that I also saw last week was the hot jar um, press release. I tweeted it out from the ENA um, account because it's like the definition of, of purpose over product, but they were, uh, it was brought to their attention that the Trump 
Pence campaign was using their site and they took them off. They, they and they put out a, yeah. a a press release and they they tweeted too like this is a decision that we're making very intentionally and we know that people are going to be unhappy with it but this doesn't align with our values and um, but it's also like kind of crazy to during a presidential election it's it's bold but the things that I was seeing too I think one of the the top tweets from them sharing the press release is it's like people saying like I don't even really know what you do but I guarantee you I'm going to find out and use you when possible now and it's like it's an analytics thing actually um I just want to google it to make sure it says website heat maps and behavioral analytics tools so it's like kind of a it's not like a super customer facing type of brand. And so for them to take a stand and to pull, I, I don't know, that was, that was a, a right. positive they, they thing. They probably could have week. gotten by without making they didn't have to say anything. Yeah. And, yeah, they, and making exactly. more money. That's what I mean. Exactly. About. Facebook saw this happening and chose the money. Yeah. They must. Yeah. Have. And that's why it's like, for me, it, that's just, like one of the purest examples of of purpose, not product. Because exactly, it's like they could have just, no one was looking at them. There was no connection, there was no tie. They saw it and they were like, no, we don't wanna, we don't wanna help contribute to the success of this campaign. And in so doing, you, you, you lead with that purpose, which attracts other people who share that purpose. They tell their friends and then they start to self-regulate and get the others out. And and that so it's you know it can feel like you're taking a step backwards to go two forwards because they're going but it, it's much more durable. I mean I think I think yeah. Zuckerberg will go down as something close to like a war criminal. Like like he, you know history will not not view him well. I don't believe he will not be viewed like a Steve Jobs or someone like that. No, the I fact totally that he doesn't agree. see that is crazy. Pardon? The fact that he doesn't see that is crazy. But when you get to that level of well, when you get to that level of of, of ego and wealth and influence and stuff, you've got you're surrounded. I mean, Sheryl Sandberg should be ashamed of herself, right? And and she was supposed to be the adult in the room, and um, you know, you get surrounded. It's it's classic innovator's dilemma. You know, he's surrounded by people who tell him how brilliant he is, and he has more money than fucking God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he managed to, I mean, he did something very smart, and I'm sure Peter Thiel was right there helping him. He managed to keep control, majority control of that stock, you know, and that's unbelievable to not get diluted um, and as a founder there, as big as that company got, for him to be still this, like, sole decision maker, it never happens. I mean, I don't think Elon Musk has that with, with Tesla, that much autonomy. Yeah. What about Bezos? Bezos probably changed. <laughs> but he's, he's, I mean, look, he may be greeted in a similar manner in terms of, of just the co- contribution to the downfall. You know, Amazon, I have such cognitive dissonance around Amazon just because, mm-hmm. like, all of us, I use it all the time and I know it's not helping. You know. But I, I want to just go ahead. No, I just because I, I pulled up the hot drink thing because I feel like I wasn't explaining that very well, but. And I want to, I want to, if I mention it, I want to give it the proper um, claim or not claim it, the, the proper kind of celebration that it deserves. But it, it says explicitly that it's putting our core values to work, a letter to our community. So the Trump Pence campaign was using it on a merchandising site. And one of their core values is to work with respect. And 
they talk about how they pride themselves about being diverse and inclusive and from everything from their approach to privacy to supporting causes like Black Lives Matter and fighting the climate crisis, they they really tried to do what is right. And so that the fact that Donald Trump has said such racist and hateful things, they say, and like targeted minimalized or marginalized groups rather, they explicitly call out build the wall and crime will fall and all of these things that have not sit well with them. That it, he's a candidate who has made statements that promote racism, division and discrimination. Therefore we believe the values displayed by this organization as a customer of Hotjar are clearly not aligned with our values as a company. So they took it down. It's, it's just, so I wanted to actually give it in, uh, the proper context because I think it's super cool and I hope more companies feel empowered enough to take that approach, whether it's against different political groups or on different platforms to remove themselves. I think, I mean, there's already kind of been the mass exodus from all, for a lot of companies who have just left Facebook. They're not interested in, you know, like the whole illusion that we were all told that you have to have Facebook ads to like do effective marketing. Um, companies have realized that there are much other, but harder. Hard, harder ways to approach it but I just think it's it's really cool and the companies that do take the stand it's like we were talking about with Mark Cates too like the, the musicians who, who stand up for their um, political beliefs I think people need to feel empowered to do so and to know that it's not going to be a death sentence for your career, for your company for your funding opportunities for your community building so sorry to bring it back but I wanted to just actually make sure that I explained it properly Last week, I spent so much time with several companies talking about values, you know, and I think values got really poo-pooed in the like early 2000s, where it was this very kind of Ayn Rand, objectivist, you know, Uber or whatever. What values? The, the only value is to make money or whatever, right? So, and, and I've always viewed values for a company as to be something that not only helps kind of remind them of their purpose on product, but also as a way, as you're saying, Carly, to... to get rid of the bad customers and the bad employees. Like, you know, um, that the, the key value statements for me is we as a company believe in these things, right? And then if you have to fire someone, it's because their values don't align. It doesn't mean that their values are necessarily wrong. Like with GHS, it's, it's, it's be kind and be innovative. There have been any number of people that have come through our, our little circle that are no longer with us because th they don't have those values, it, whether it's, it's a lack of innovation or lack of kindness, and it's an intentionally broad value that I chose in terms of be kind, but to me, being kind means doing what you say you're gonna do, showing up on time, all those types of things. And it makes it very easy when you when you have to sit in those difficult times, where you have to sit with someone and say, look, we have to part ways. Oh, why? Well, our values don't align, you know? And and so they're real things, and it, it extends out to the customer base. Okay, we're, gonna, we're not going to service this type of, of crowd, why? Because our values don't align with that. And, and if your values can just shift to wherever the market goes, you're fucked, right? You'll eventually, you'll eventually get exactly what, what, that, what, what you deserve. Mm -hmm. But value statements are important. And, and I wish more companies would, would really consider them and not think of them as just some, something that they stick on a wall that no one reads, but really work at it. And because it, once you have them, it helps you make decisions better. Exactly. It can be like a compass. Okay, our values are this and this has it is happened. The and your true yeah, north. your values yeah. then that is how you can make so many decisions, I think. That's and it informs your product, it informs your marketing, it informs your, mm -hmm. your HR, it informs all of it. Totally. 
and it's reflected in your company culture with the actual just like right and then it, then it becomes a question vibe but, well but then where does it come from should it come from founders and i i think it should i think it shouldn't come from ceos or whatever it should come from founders and and because it's hard to shake them it's hard to shake the values of a founder reintroduce them and that's why you see founders get companies go under when the it's, it's, it's i'm glad that it's a conversation that that, that we're having and I, I feel like i've been been very steadfast on it for many years values are important and um you know going back to the ethics stuff or, or like with radar joseph like like when we're trying to figure out next steps with 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 radar and and who should be able to access these students work to me it's a very clear values thing Will you accessing these students' work help these students create sustainable careers on their own terms? If yes, come on in. If no, fuck you. If you don't know, come back to us when you do. And and then that that I mean I said that on one of the calls, and that allows you I think on the business development side to go out and say, well, show us, you know. Yeah, the I think the hurdle in that sense is when researching schools, you can't really know or they don't always have their values, you know, showing to everyone. So you have to talk to them. Exactly. Reach out to everyone mm -hmm. and then hear back from them and then have a conversation about it and see if they actually agree with them. Yeah. But, but it, exactly. it, values That's are also very, um, very show, not tell. You know, like you should be able to see it. You should be able to see, oh, okay, they say they do this thing like Facebook. I mean, I'm sure Facebook has a value statement of inclusivity or whatever. They're full of shit, right? It's just, it's just talk. But that I think is the, the tricky thing with values is it can be very easy to find a company's kind of mission or or value statements, but whether or not they actually reflect that is hard because a lot of companies you only get what they are, are willing to share with people. I mean, like unless you're on like shareholder meetings or calls, like a lot of the stuff that's happening in terms of how organizations are structured or how employees are managed or how true it is that they you know have diversity or inclusivity can be very hard to find just by doing research and even initial conversations i don't think any company would, would say like yeah we don't really value in 2020 we don't really value you know gender equality or diversity in our teams or people aren't encouraged to speak their minds but that is the situation that a lot of companies but i one of your points is interesting george like that value should come from founders. And I believe that that is true because you can't change their mindset. But what does that mean? And I'm thinking of one company in particular where like the values were something that we as a team thought were clear and the founders did not reflect those values. And the team itself, we tried so hard to make the product and the company reflective of what we wanted it to be and why we had all signed up. And all of those people, myself included, are no longer at that company. And so I think it's a little bit tricky because like you can have a really great product that could be molded if you're only taking values from the founder side that that can be like the most limiting. But I do think that you're right. If it doesn't come from the founders, it's just not going to be the values. So how do you I feel like there's a disconnect there. That's that's the art, right? And and I think I think that companies can can Apple lost their values when when Steve Jobs left, and then they they reclaimed them very. You know, I mean, it, it, it's a it can be a long journey. I mean, there are two 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 responses to what you just said. I mean, one of them is, you know, as the Buddha says, the truth always comes out, and and so it's a lot harder in the, in 2020. 
Um, I'm thinking of um, of the woman who wrote the blog that kind of forced Uber to reconcile things. Like it's a lot harder mm-hmm. to hide to like just be really contrary to your values because people leave, people do talk. NDAs are really hard to enforce, um, and so eventually the, you'll be betrayed by them. Um, it, there's always tension as companies grow, and particularly when founders go from being founder slash CEO to more founder and then other CEOs come in. And it's why there is so many, so much conflict there. Um, and either, either the, the, either like Facebook, I mean, I think Zuckerberg's values were always shitty. Sheryl Sandberg, Peter Thiel, others just ratified that, you know, um, you'll see other companies where I'm trying to think of an example. Like you'll see it when like a founder comes back sometimes too, and I don't want to use the Apple example again. Even Reddit to an example, like where or 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 like what's happening with with the Instagram people. Like the, there's some talk that the the guy that one of the founders for Instagram was being recruited Kevin to Sistrum. run something. What is it? Kevin Systrom to become yeah to CEO of TikTok or TikTok US. Yeah, <laughs> and and so that that like that's somewhere it's like okay, so his values clashed with Zuckerberg. Like they left. They, yeah. they cashed their check. They stayed as long as they needed to. Then and same with the WhatsApp dude. I'm out, right? Yeah. And now well, they stayed as now long as they could. I think that was part of it. They it was the it was, I don't think they left because they quote unquote cast their check. They, no, you're right. They you're wanted right. to stay with Instagram, fair. but yeah, I agree. Value misalignment. Yeah. And then the values clash, but so now he's in a position where people believe that his values are more I know your point's well made, Carly. I mean I think I think but companies it's a question take, though. Like what do you do if, if you well, what you do company, is what you do is you 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 have to show that the values actually can become a competitive advantage. And if you can't, then you will have that constant tension between the founder saying, no, these are, this is our vision, this is our values, and CEO person going, that's all great, but you can't make any fucking money, you're not going to be a company. And finding that sweet spot where you go, okay, yes, these values have to lead to competitive advantage. And and that's and sometimes it doesn't, but I mean, going back to my ethics class, that's, that's what I teach, where it's like values and transparency of values can and must be competitive advantage, particularly in commoditized markets, where, where otherwise it's like, well, we're all the same. And if you don't do that, you'll fail. It may be a long, slow cascade of failure, or you work from within to educate and show, you know, that, that, that there is this, this sweet spot of, of values and, and financial, um, you know, financial wins. And sometimes there isn't. Sometimes yeah. like, yeah, you got a great art project there, buddy. Yeah. I, I also, the question comes from like, as an employee too, though, what do you do? If you sign up to a company because you really like the product, the, the values that they're claiming to have, I mean, if it is something that just comes from, from the founders, but it isn't something that is felt being actually like executed, is there an opportunity for the culture to shift that and move closer yes, towards the Yes, you have to values. pick your battles. You have to pick your yeah. battles. So and, even and though if the founders, just, if there is a disalignment there, you think that there's still an opportunity. I do. You have to pick your battles. You have to be patient. You have to you have to patient, take yes. e- take ego out of it sometimes. You have to take, and I'm, I'm very guilty of this, you have to take 
the idea, I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, like she, one of her many amazing quotes, I, I won't quote it precisely, but it's something along the lines of, it's not enough just to be right if, if by being right you're making others feel bad. You have to be right in a way that's inclusive, you know? And and so employees have an opportunity, but they, they have to, they have to, be very, very kind of patient and tactical. And I don't think that that young employees, and this goes back to one of the things we're talking about, like with Gen Z and all the empathy and all that stuff, that they, 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 you know, they, they don't have that patience. And then maybe they shouldn't, you know, where it's like, but then you quit. Then 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 you should just quit immediately and just look be like, Google. look, I, I this is, what's that? Look at Google, right? Because all the time you hear about employees kind of standing up to decisions that yeah. are made at the executive level. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, like Spotify. I know, I know so many people that work at Spotify now. Me too. It's like at some point, the decisions that are being made clearly don't. And a lot of these people are musicians, you know, or were musicians. Um, you, you can't always turn a blind eye, but sometimes I think the the money is good. It takes a while for mm-hmm. you to be like, you know what? I'm getting paid a lot, but it doesn't feel good anymore. But yeah. now we're back to record label contracts. Like, I mean, you you and I both know people who have have real misgivings about Spotify, but will still go work there, not just for the paycheck, but because they get to say, hey, look, mom and dad, I'm, I'm working at Spotify, which has brand equity amongst their parents. And eventually, I mean, I always say in my ethics class, if you're in an unethical situation, you either become unethical or leave. There's no in between. Mm-hmm. And, and eventually it be, it'll make you sick. Like if you're staying at a company where your values aren't aligned and you're doing it just for the money, you will eventually become sick. Yeah. And sometimes you might be shielded from it, you know, with companies that are that yeah, that's true. The project yeah. you're yeah. working on. That's very might true. Be exactly what yeah, you want. The company is big enough. Totally. Yeah. And, and there, there, I mean, there are many, many examples, the record industry where the, the, the industry or the company is morally bankrupt, but the people that work there aren't, but eventually if they stay there long yeah. enough, I remember that was something that you said in one of the first times I ever heard you speak, George, actually. It's like no one goes into the music industry to screw artists. They go into the music industry because they love music. They are musicians. They love, you know, like art. And But because of the institutions and the way they've been set up and how they've earned money, then it's like you either become just a part of that. And no one enters thinking like, I, when I grow up, I want to just screw artists over that's what i want to do like no one goes in with those intentions but then the institutions they can kind of convert people that way because the money is too good you have a mortgage you have kids the clout the networking opportunities the whatever it may be there are a lot of the false hope that you i mean it's exactly what we were talking about with the cults and we're last week we were talking about the vow or whatever, where it's like these little kind of slow boil things where you don't even realize it's happening. And I've seen it at the record industry for 30 years where you come into it and, and you have, and you go, wait, they, they, they actually do do that in the contract. And, and somebody goes, yeah. And, and yeah, you know, but, but yeah. we gotta, and then you, and you feel, you can feel your values kind of erode on the spot. And, and, or, and then, or you think I can, I want to make it. this different. Yeah. I can so, fix okay. It. Like, but I have to kind of play the game to get a seat at the table to then, but then by that point it's too late. I mean, like, oh, late. But you're, 
you go in ambitious and you either quit because you know that that's just a, a path you will die on or then by the time you just become like sucked into the to the machine but it's very gradual it's very boil the frog where where and they're institutionalized yeah. in this way where it's it's like the gradual chipping away at your core values until you have quote drunk the kool-aid you know another great cult reference yeah jonestown yeah i don't think it was actually cool. where it comes from which makes sense but it's crazy that that's actually where that saying comes from three things joseph you want to go first um all right i have four to pick no 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 <laughs> have you not heard the fucking podcast <laughs> Mark tried to do the yes, same thing. Yes, I have. That's what I'm saying. I have to pick three of them. Mark and oh, okay. Them. I thought you were like, I have four yeah. things. Well, I have four, and I'm going to say them all. No. Um. <laughs> George is outraged. The sass. If I didn't think George. you were... The first one <laughs> is... Um, you're probably all familiar with uh, Bonnie Bear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I've heard, yeah. of, heard of it. Oh, yeah. You've heard of Bonnie Bear? So they're doing this thing called Pledge 46, where I've seen this. if you pledge to vote, if you prove that you registered to vote, they give you points. And with those points, you can win a trip to Australia next year to see them whenever that happens. They've gamified you can get more points for, mm-hmm. I don't know, signing petitions or doing specific things. So it's kind of like you get rewarded for doing good things it's cool and i thought that was that was really cool a lot of bands are taking part in that too yeah yeah i gonna hurry the fuck up yeah (laughs) hopefully um the second thing is a book called they call me supermensch by shep gordon it's a great documentary too yeah i i had to watch the documentary for ralph's class ah yeah, that was the the final. Yeah, and then I <laughs> That's realized a good it was final. A book. Yeah, I was like, okay, thank you. All right, watch a movie. Okay. I've never heard of it though. Can you? Oh, it's great. What? So Shep Gordon has been a manager for. I don't know. He started managing Alice Cooper. Um. So, you know, he's 70s. been around, mm-hmm. and like Teddy Pendergrass. Um, who else has he worked with? He managed Pink Floyd for nine days. <laughs> um, I don't know. It actually reminded me of like your ethics class a lot, George, because he talked about compassionate business and this yeah. like, um, what do you call it? Like coupon model where if someone does something for him, then he, that person has a coupon that they can redeem with him and he will do hmm. whatever for that. So I thought that yeah. was really nice. It's a great documentary. I haven't read the book. Yeah, the book is good. It goes way more in depth. Like, you get stories from since he grew up, and he rounds it out quite nicely. And the last one, just, it's not necessarily depressing, but it made me <laughs> kind of sad because it's, um, it's a video from a festival that happened two years ago. It's um, a festival that Justin Vernon from Bon Iver put together in Berlin. And I think that's very, very much purpose, not product. Um, there's no sponsors. There's no lineup. Hmm. You get no lineup. No lineup. 
Um, so I went to this festival two years ago and all you got was a list of 150 artists that were going to participate in it. And then there was a disclaimer that said, if you were coming with anyone, you better get there at the same time because whenever you got there, you got a wristband with a number one through six. So there were six different groups and then you got a schedule and it said from 2 p.m. until midnight, you have to be here at 2 p.m. At four, you have to be at this other studio. It was at the Funk House, which was, mm -hmm. a, yeah. So it, it was all- One of the coolest venues. Amazing, yeah. So it was What was the festival's name? People. People? People, yep. Just people. Um, and it's great because you don't know who you're going to see. It just says Studio One at 2 p.m. You go in, it's completely dark, and it could be Justin Vernon or Feist or the guys from The National or an orchestra or a DJ. You never knew what it was. That's and cool. the performances didn't repeat. So if you were in Group One, you saw a completely different day from the people in Group Five. Super Tramp? No Super Tramp. <laughs> Don't worry, George, no Super Tramp. I wonder who Joseph's favorite artist is. Mm -hmm. Does it take the long way home? Is that Super Tramp? Take the long way home? Da, 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 da. Take the long way home. Good song. Yeah, don't worry, Super Tramp isn't my favorite artist. It's Bonnie no, Bear. No, I was going to say Bonnie Bear is. Prominently <laughs> displayed. Bonnie Bear was two of your three favorite things. But yeah, it's pretty clear. <laughs> Who's next? Yeah. Who's next? I'll go next. So I started watching a new show, which I was very excited. I knew it was coming. Um, Ratchet on Netflix. And it is about Nurse Ratchet, right? From Clockwork, the one who flew over the cuckoo's nest, right? Yeah, so it's a Ryan Murphy show who does, like, American Horror Story. And, I mean, he did... He, that's kind of the same feeling of it. He did also The Politician, which is a newer Netflix show. He also did Glee, but it has like a very Ryan Murphy, a very specific Ryan Murphy feel. And and um, Sarah Paulson is Ratchet, who is like one of his darlings. He she she is in a lot of uh, Ryan Murphy's stuff and. I love her too, but it was, I was actually just looking at it this morning uh, to prepare for this and like people are hating it, hating New it. New Yorker gave it a really bad review. Yeah, it's like, it's just like trash reviews when you Google hmm. it, but it's, so it is supposed to serve as like a prequel to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, so where Nurse Ratchet came from and kind of like why she was the way that she was, but it has that ryan murphy feeling to it where it's like everything is kind of spooky but visually it's really beautiful everything looks kind of like overexposed it has really really bright colors and i personally love that i feel like it's a very you see it a lot or i've seen it a lot in in more like british shows where the subject matter will be super fucking dark but then visually it's like really really bright vibrant colors and i like that mix so like this they, they play with colors a lot and it's kind of like it's oversaturated it's but then it's like this yeah one review called it like puppet porn or something like that <laughs> it's yeah it's um 
everyone's hating it apparently on the internet but i watched the first couple of episodes last night with my dad but i also i was like excited for it i knew it was coming i follow her on social media i think she's an amazing actress Sharon Stone is in it and she's like looking better than ever. But so I'm gonna, I'm going to be the only person that recommends Ratchet apparently. And even though I've only watched a few and the reviewers have watched all of it, I don't care. I still wanted to include it in one of my three things and I will be watching all of it. And then an artist that I discovered which actually came from a previous Dan's three things is that show Ted Lasso on Apple TV, oh, yeah. which I've been watching and loving. So um, but at the very end, it wasn't the, cause it comes out on Friday. So it wasn't this last week's episode, but the episode the, the week before it ended um, with a song that was so good. I was like Googling the lyrics to find the artist. It's an artist, Celeste. The song is called Edit, but so that was kind of like an entry. Do you know the one I'm talking about? It's like the- I didn't realize it was by her, but yeah, I, I I discovered a song by Celeste ages ago. Haven't listened to any other of her music, but I threw one of her songs on one of my. What playlists. was the song that you would that you had? Because when I searched her on Spotify, I had liked one of her songs too, and I don't know where that came from. The song is lately. It would be funny if it was the same one for you. Suck up. No, okay. But so I've been listening to just her music. She has an amazing voice. And so it was one of Dan's three things that has led me to an artist that apparently I had known at least one of her songs, but she has, the song itself is great. I think we should add it to our playlist. Um, and it was kind of funny or nice that your recommendation that I was watching and then heard a song, but um, it's also a great show. It's really funny and sweet. I, no show makes me feel that good after watching it. It's the yeah, perfect it's like, way to end the week. Yeah. Yeah, it makes you just want to be like nicer. Even just though, like you want to. Yeah, even though it's like kind of or really sad things happening to yeah. some of the. It's still just like. It's because how they treat each other. It's like it's such a feel good. It's so campy show. in the best way. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, and then my third thing, I have one video in mind, but I've been seeing all of these videos of teachers, mostly teachers of like kindergarten students, and they're filming themselves kind of zooming in with the kids. And like, I, the one in particular that's about with me, but it's kind of like a thing that people are sharing right now. Um, there's this one woman and she's like in the classroom and she's, you can't hear what well, you can I mean, at, at one point, but um, it's just like her kind of talking to the kids and like she has a little um, uh, like card with a microphone that she picks up sometimes because she's asking like the kids questions and she has to remind them like whatever, I can't remember the name, but like turn on your microphone, little Billy or whatever, because like, she can see that a kid is trying to talk. But like, I just feel watching them, the amount of energy that you have to have to keep particularly like young kindergarten to grade three students engaged and learning right now, I think is such an incredible feat. And I, you, you know that it's the teachers who are like quite literally reinventing the wheel and trying to figure out how to best keep kids engaged and keep kids learning. And I think 
it goes back to something that you often say, George, it's like innovation doesn't come from the institutions. Like it's not the schools that are saying, this is what we should be doing and this is how it works. It's like really the individual teachers who have the relationship with the students who are doing a lot of trial and error, but particularly for the young kids, I feel like, you know, that they're not making that much money as an early educator and the like, Imagine this was your first year of teaching. We talk about what it would be like for students as well, or like, you know, the kids who are supposed to graduate high school last year and all the things that they've missed out on. But like, imagine you were entering the workforce this year as a teacher and you're trying, you have like literally no, none of the regular tools work. And so I just think it's a really cool area where you can see it. it's like, it's such a individual human led time for innovation. And I think, the the people who are teaching kindergarten via zoom like pay them all of the money they they become like actors they become tech support they be but like for children for little itty bitty kids it it blows and my their mind parents. i can't yeah i can't imagine you hear actually and sometimes you hear the parents there's a sweet video of another teacher and she's talking to one kid it sounds like it's maybe more one on one and you can hear the mom in the background be like ma'am please. So then he's like adding ma'am or please to his sentences. It's also really sweet, but I just think it's, uh, they're doing such important work and the videos are also, it's like, it's a horrible situation, but it's so heartwarming. And I think that they deserve, yeah, all of the money and a lot of the praise. Anyone who gets into teaching at any level for any other reason than wanting the students to, to thrive leaves real fast it's a calling you know mm -hmm. but it's just yeah i mean like they're they're reinventing how to teach right now oh, I mean, I know. you're obviously I know. a part of it too but you have people who are not five and like need naps and have never interacted on like they've never taken an online course or like they're just kids that oh, all of I a know. sudden it's it's is what, and I'm not diminishing what you have to do either. I oh no, no, like I, 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 I'm not. Yeah, it's, it's we, we all videos, have different challenges. Yeah, but the video and like they have to be so like animated. It's like you're watching like a, a show for kids. That that's how they have to now go to work, which I guess they kind of maybe always had to. Uh, it's never a job that I've wanted, and I've never wanted it less than watching these videos. <laughs> Those George are Howard things. show. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I think it's, I'm not, and I know it's super difficult to then I'll have to like lecture for four hours, but you don't have to be like, Dan, I can't, Dan, your microphone's off with like your little card or like Carly, we can't hear you or you're frozen. Like, and to be like wide eyed and like sweet and jokey. It's uh, yeah. You kind of do though, because with college students, especially like if you don't turn your camera on, you can be anywhere. Yeah, I know. And yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and George, I actually, I was in the room in your last marketing class with Pam. Hmm. Um, so I noticed like <laughs> trying to engage with all my might, my brother. It's, it's hard. I, I can't imagine. It's hard. And it's, it's certainly no harder or easier or whatever than doing it with five-year-olds. But it's as Carly says, it's, it's, we're all trying to figure out a different way. I mean, the, the, the current way just doesn't work. 
So different and, challenges, and, like you said, different challenges and and different audiences that that need different things. But but the current medium works as poorly for five year olds as it does for twenty five year olds. You know, just different challenges. Dan. All right. Um, number one, the artist formerly known as Mike you're gazing Dunn. off. Are you making them up as you? No, I've got a second screen. I've got because I like to look at you this... guys. But was... All right, let me see. <laughs> I wish I, I would. I would not be able to make these up. I. These are hard for me to come up with every week. Do you guys struggle at all, or is it just like sometimes? I have too many. I have too many. I have yeah. to parse them down. All right. Number one, the artist formerly known as Mike Dunn and the Kings of New England, now known as Mike Dunn. Uh, I I was reappreciating how good his album Hard Luck Soft Rock is. Uh, this guy never, as far as I can tell, never really made it. Um, he's totally my my classic mix of musical ingredients. Springsteen meets the replacements, which is just like all day long. Um, he's he was um, tour manager for like Alex Deason of the Damn Wells on his solo tour, who all of 50 people showed up to for every show, so it wasn't even a big thing. But I've seen him play twice now, both times opening up for the Damn Wells, and he's just this is a dude that just loves making this kind of music, and he, he also, I mean, he I think he teaches that. Full, like music production and stuff at Full Sail University, and he's got a little photo studio. So he's just an artistic guy that does it because it's can't do anything else. And he makes like industrial art too. He makes lamps out of you know like big metal whatever, <laughs> uh, like big metal nuts or something. I don't know. His Instagram is fun to follow, <laughs> but it's it's just an album that no one's. It's not going to be a ton of people that ever hear it, and it's I've got it on vinyl, which makes me feel you nice. know, better about myself, classy mirror. But it's uh, I don't know. I wanted to bring it up because I think he deserves some recognition. Um, and speaking of people that deserve recognition, number two, I used Task Rabbit for the first time oh. to get um, my curtains hung up because they're ridiculously complicated. <laughs> I felt like a failure until the guy came. He's like, "No, you actually bought." stupidly they're not complicated they're too simple it's the curtain rods are too simple that it makes them difficult to work with but anyway peter d my my task rabbit tasker came over super awesome and as he's putting up the uh, the last curtain rod we're getting to talk he saw that i had some guitars here it's like oh you know i used to play guitar so he's got this crazy story this dude was a keyboard tech for all these huge artists he george do you know the company sir amazing Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he worked for SIR in the 70s. And then what would happen is all these bands would rehearse and use SIR equipment. They'd meet people there and they'd say, do you want to come be a tech for us on the road? So Blondie picked him up. He got a tour with Blondie as a keyboard tech. Um, and then eventually, a few years later, he started working with David Bowie. And nice. I worked with one of David Bowie's uh, backup singers a few years ago. And he's like, oh, Holly, yeah, I remember her. We toured the world together. And it's just the most Funny. random coincidence that never would have happened if, you know, if we weren't just, <laughs> I was just hanging up trying to help him put up my curtains. 
Then he went and, and worked with Neil Diamond until Neil Diamond stops touring. And now wow. The world is crazy. And now he's putting curtains together, man. Well, he's getting older, and I think he just wants to... He said he doesn't mind it. He says he enjoys doing it, so... But, um... Yeah, it was just it was it was it was cool. It was so cool just to <laughs> talk about that stuff with him. But Blondie inspired my number three. So my favorite song by Blondie that is not by Blondie is "Hanging on the Telephone." Hanging on the telephone. Great yeah. song. Good for Originally, you for knowing that she didn't or they didn't write that. Yeah. It's by the Nerves. Yeah, which is That's actually right. a really good version, the original version. But my favorite version of that song is off the 2006 album Yeah by Def Leppard, their covers album, which is phenomenal. This is such a good, and they cover like Thin Lizzy, T-Rex, uh, Waterloo <laughs> Sunset by the Kinks is a great Kinks. cover they did on there. Um, I didn't know how to pronounce this title until I looked it up today. 10538 Overture by ELO. They do a great cover of that. I, if anyone loves Def Leppard. Like, oh yeah. If anyone loves like I don't know, it's like 60s, 70s, 80s, classic Brit rock, but want to hear a really talented hair, they're more than hair metal. I feel like calling them hair oh metal. Oh my design. gosh, they were amazing. Did yeah. Mutt Lang produce this record too? Because he was kind of the, the the other member of that band. Well, like, yeah, which around would be no... in the 80s. Yeah. I, I don't Almost, know. If, but... I, I would be surprised. <laughs> what else is there? Covers <laughs> Pyromania. <laughs> Yeah. Does it sound like most. Does it sound like Def Leppard? Does it sound like yeah, Pyromania? Yeah, well, because you, well, yeah. you got Phil Collin doing his just classic, like, his guitar. You could just pick it out anyway. I know. Yeah. And, so, and it's it's so good. And their harmonies and stuff. And they a lot of production value went into it. They're the band. I'm surprised they have stayed as big as they have. Like, because they... They're an expensive band to maintain. The amount of like their mm. their kind of production standards and stuff. They're they're not like uh, let's set up a couple acoustic guitars and go for it. No. Um, well, that's why I asked about Mutt Lang. I mean, it's like production on those records. Mutt, out of yeah, control. Mutt Lang when he had uh, Phil Collins, Stephen Clark, like rather than play a chord, record separate takes each of note. each string. <laughs> yeah, in the chord. Wild. Um, you should read. I read the Debbie Harry biography over the summer. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, I mean, I'm such a huge fan. I love that era. But um, yeah, it's a great book. George, me. Uh, my first is uh, Patagonia, um, where they put some some tags in some of their pants or something that, that says <laughs> "vote the assholes out." And so I read an article about how that came to pass. And apparently, the founder talk about a purpose, not product company. They're one of the few companies that, when I ask my students about big companies that still have some ethical fiber, people pull up Patagonia, and it's because of the founder. And and apparently, the founder wrote out to they've got a one percent for the planet fund and he wrote a letter to the group where he spelled out um in the note he said remember vote the assholes out all those politicians who don't believe we should do anything about climate change and the design team at patagonia heard that they kind of sat on it and then they sort of went a little rogue and did it and then the founder they told him about it he's like hell yeah right and talk about values it's like if you if, if he fired people for doing that then then he's not paying attention to the value statement of course they should do that uh, the second is this great uh, documentary called The Hot Pepper Doc. It's on Criterion, and it's about Clifton Chenier, um, who was a, a, a Zydeco kind of Creole um, musician who I've loved forever. 
the documentary takes place in the 70s, and so that's a time period I love. And it's just a great, amazing kind of um, portrait of, of uh, you know, Lafayette, like Charles, Louisiana. But what was amazing and made it interesting to me was I, I've been listening to the music. I saw Clifton Schneer. I saw Buckwheat Zydeco. I saw all those people. I, I viewed them as almost like a different category of music. But when I was watching this documentary the other night, it's it's Motown or it's it's like it's Booker T and the MGs or or um, um, uh, Groove Homes or um, fuck what's the what's the who's the the great organist um, B three the the B three organ I cannot believe I can't remember his name Jimmy Smith it sounds like Jimmy Smith but but instead you just take the B three out and you add org accordion in which is was his instrument. And and once I did that, changed that in my head, it's like the band is killer. Like the bass lines and stuff, it sounds like Booker T and the MGs. But instead of the of Booker T playing the organ, it's 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 Clifton Chenier on the on the accordion, and it totally re- recalibrated how I listened to it. Um, and then my third, I got a couple quotes. Descent speak descents speak to a future age. It's not simply to say my colleagues are wrong and I would do it this way, but the greatest dissents do become court opinions and gradually over time their views become the dominant view. So that's the dissenters hope that they are writing not for today, but for tomorrow. And that's obviously a Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote. Um, The dissenters hope. I just feel like I'm always the dissenter and I'm always feeling like the shit that I say, it's not, yeah, I know I'm not going to change anything now, but maybe, maybe there's something later that that I want to be on record here later for people to build on her quote about abortion rights. This is something central to a woman's life, to her dignity. It's a decision that she must make for herself. And when the government controls that decision for her, she's being treated as less than a fully adult human responsible for her own choices. Autonomy, right? We have to grant people autonomy. And then the last, this one almost makes me cry, this is a quote about the men on the court. Um, And she says, quote, they have never been a 13-year-old girl. And that was a comment she made after her male colleagues appeared indifferent about a girl strip search by school administrators. And that's empathy. And that's what we lost. We lost the dissenter's voice. We lost the, the empathy. We lost, you know, so much and and i'm glad that she's being celebrated in the way that she is um and i hope she was in fact or is in fact a bodhisattva and has left us in a place where we're able to do it without her but man oh man i don't know have a great week thanks for joining us joseph thanks for all you're doing thanks for having me. really appreciate you yeah really appreciate you take care thanks bye guys Bye. bye The Entrepreneurship and Art Podcast is a GH strategic production hosted by me, Carly Sheridan, Dan Cervantes, and George Howard. For more information and show notes, visit our website at entrepreneurshipandart.com.